You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. In-depth conversations, matchup breakdown, everything a Steelers fan could want. This is Fourth Down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. And welcome back in to another episode of Fourth Down in the Steel City. You know my face, I'm Chris Mack. You know the other face on the other side of the screen, that's Josh Taylor. There is an interloper between the two of us, however. (laughs) Welcome in from Baltimore, Jeremy Kahn of 105.7 The Fan of the Big Bad Morning Show. Before he tells you why you should be worried about the Ravens coming to Heinz Field, I'm never going to call it Akersher Stadium here in just a moment. Let me remind you that you need to subscribe to 4th Down in the Steel City. And whether you're getting it on YouTube and tapping that little notification bell below our faces here so that you get reminded when new videos are available or... You're getting the audio-only version, and you're following or subscribing to the podcast, however you get your podcast, hopefully, most likely, inside that free Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Make sure you're doing so there, leaving some ratings, reviews, comments, whatever, um, and we will get you ready now for what is the classic AFC North matchup, Steelers-Ravens. Again, Jeremy, thanks for making the time, man. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I just don't know. Am I close enough to my camera? Because I don't know if you guys' heads in Pittsburgh are bigger than mine because I have this watermelon uh, up here on the top of my shoulders, and it just looks like your guys' heads are bigger than mine. So I'm like, Lena, do I get do I get in closer, or how do you, we make this work? That's because we have to be smarter in order to make sense of whatever our coaching staff is trying to doing and what our players are up to on any given week. So we need more gray matter. Um, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. That's that's what I'm going to go with. Anyway, um, let's start here. It looks like that the Ravens offense is getting healthy just in time for this one. Um, how much should Steeler fans be worried that it's not going to just be Zay Flowers and Mark Andrews? We might get Odell. We might get uh, it, it looks like a number of pieces back for the Ravens this weekend. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of guys like I, I saw the uh, Vince McMahon meme out there where it's like he's getting excited and you see how much more excited he gets. And it's like Odell's coming back and Humphrey. And yeah, so like Keaton Mitchell is another guy that we're interested here as far as the running game goes. But like the other names are more important. Marlon Humphrey coming back um, as these guys have practiced a little bit more this week. Some guy, some of the, the names you heard were limited. Some practice in full getting Ronnie Stanley back. Um yeah, they've had some key injuries. They should be 4-0, uh, the coach's fault for not calling a timeout and changing the, the fair catch against the Colts um, as they put a few seconds on the clock. But 
getting healthy now, you just wonder how much better can this offense get. The defense has looked really good uh, thus far. There's been some bend, don't break. But now that they're healthier and figuring out some of these pieces and and even like kicking the tires on a Kyle Van Noy and bringing him in, and he actually has a pretty good game. So uh, I think the defense is really good. And the offense, once they figure it out, um, Zay Flowers is special. For anybody who hasn't watched him, I know everybody's talking about him now, but there's a lot of similarities. I'm not calling him Tyreek Hill, but in their games, there's a lot of similarities there. Uh, so I, I really like it. It's finally weird to talk about wide receivers on Baltimore and not be just bashing them. But um, there is some talent here, but they still, you know, look, it's it's the NFL. If you guys have been watching it, like I've been surprised as much as any fans or anybody out there week to week going, what the hell's happening here? Like, what are coaches doing? What are I, I don't need to tell you guys in Pittsburgh, but like, <laughs> you know, you start watching things and you're like, what am I actually watching here with what's going on? And you know, with the Ravens, they should be 4-0. I think people should be talking more about them, but they had the hiccup against the Colts. And, you, you know, I can give you all the cliches with the Steelers matchup. You throw the records out, and we see what happens. And I really feel like the game's still going to be that way, but it uh, should be a fun one come Sunday. You mentioned Zay Flowers, and Mike Tomlin had a lot to say about Zay Flowers. And obviously, he got a good look at him playing at Boston College while Tomlin someone's playing there. So, of course, he's going to see a lot of close. But sticking on the, the subject – of this Ravens offense. And we kind of talked about a little bit before we started this, uh, this recording, but we talked about, you know, what this offense used to look like with Greg Roman, but now Todd Munkin has taken over. He comes over from Georgia, not the only team to bring in a guy from Georgia in the off season, <laughs> but Todd Munkin comes over from Georgia and this offense looks a lot different. Lamar Jackson's getting results out of it. And we already talked about how the Greg Roman era used to look because Baltimore fans kind of look at the Greg Roman era, probably how Pittsburgh fans look at the Matt Canada era right now. What's the difference been? Like how, how is it really black and white, the technicolor, or is it a little bit more, not as, not as uh, clear to see? Well, I think people had some questions initially, like um, especially when you, if you watch the first half against the Colts, you're going, what is this offense? But they've also had some injuries. I mean, you've, we were talking about how great the wide receiving core is and finally having a plethora of guys that you feel like you can rely on. And then last week, they don't have Odell Beckham. They don't have Rashad Bateman, who both of those guys have practiced this week. We haven't seen anything from Bateman yet. Like, it's kind of alarming where you're going, hey, this was the guy that had that one, the fastest touchdown last year for the Ravens when he took that slant to the house. Um, there's talent there, just wondering how do they mix it up. I do think we've seen a difference in the offense and philosophy um, in some of the blocking schemes and things that we've seen but also passing. They've, they, they made a conscientious effort in the first two weeks to get Zay the ball, and his targets have been there, but you know we haven't seen them push it down the field as much. We've seen a couple of those places, Zay, but realistically with Odell coming back, Zay there, we want to see them kind of take some chances down the field. They have the offense now. They have the speed to do it, to stretch it and set up other stuff, even if they're not completing those passes. But I have seen a difference, um, and even something just as simple as what we talked about before the show, the play calls coming in. Last week wasn't the greatest, uh, as some of the things were a little bit later than we would have liked, I think. Um, but Lamar, last year under Greg Roman, was getting play calls in at like five seconds or getting to the line. He's got no time to change a play. So now he does have that opportunity. So, um, And we'll see. We'll see if he's making the right decisions. But I do think Lamar reads the defense way better than people give him credit for. And I think that's been one of the benefits of just having Giro out and bringing Munkin in. Why have the Steelers been Lamar's kryptonite in the past? It's the only team in the league uh, that he's played at least four times that he doesn't have a rushing touchdown against. It's the only team that he's played multiple times that he's lost more to than he's won more against. The only team that he's got more picks than TDs against. 
Um, it's weird. It, it, it's it's a very weird thing. I mean, to the extent, Jeremy, it didn't make sense at the time, but you had some numb nuts in Steelers Nation who this offseason were like, oh, that's bring them on back. I'm happy to see the Ravens bring Lamar back, which is just insanity because you can see how impactful he is and that he is the the engine for this offense. But why has it not worked for him against the Steelers so often? Did you just call Pony numb nuts? Is that what just happened? <laughs> was it that obvious? No, man, I love Pony. But like, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> it's hard to say, um, you know, like why this is. Like sometimes it is about matchups. Maybe they, they defend them better. Because I'm watching the games, I don't necessarily, like in, when you throw those stats at me, I don't think about him and saying, oh, my God, Lamar's had some struggles against the Steelers. And you realize, hey, he hasn't had that rushing touchdown. He hasn't looked like he has against other teams. Like people would say it about Cincinnati. And I'm like, well, he doesn't have a problem with them. Cincinnati had a really good year and beat the crap out of the Ravens twice, um, took him out behind the woodshed. But, you know, like there's not that same vibe there. And maybe the hatred and the rivalry starts where they figure out some things about Lamar. But. Yeah, the Steelers really have done a nice job. Um, TJ Watt, I, I'm wondering what it looks like now when Lamar has a little bit more free reign with the offense and he can change plays. Because the one thing the players and the teams have said, when he changes the play at the line of scrimmage, they get really excited. Because, again, the, the guys believe in him. They buy into it. And um, I, I think Lamar's a way better player than people give him credit for. If I'm, if I'm the Steelers, I'd rather see Huntley or anybody else, if they were going to draft a rookie quarterback and go through that motion again, um, I, I don't know how you guys feel about Pickett, but like, it's kind of hard to look at it. Like when I look at him, I go, is he given a fair chance in this offense? Um, but I just kind of feel like he's a guy when I watch him play. I see some good things. Don't get me wrong. But is he just another one of those guys, a flash in the pan kind of, can I compare him to some of the other quarterbacks in this league that really haven't done much? Or am I not giving him enough credit because Matt Canada has got a handcuff on that offense and it's not fair to even criticize him that way. So um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I, I don't know why they've done such a good job against Lamar, but they have. They've done a they've done a fairly good job of keeping him in the pocket and making him a passer. Now, with the weapons they have, is that going to be a bad thing now? We will find out on Sunday. Jeremy, you mentioned Kenny Pickett, so let's shift over to the guys that Kenny Pickett's going to face with this Ravens defense. Now, the last time the Ravens came to Pittsburgh last season and they faced Kenny Pickett, Patrick Queen, it came in on the blitz in the A-gap, and Kenny Pickett wasn't in the game anymore. Now he's walking into this game with a bone bruise on his knee, and he says he's going to try to gut it out. But guess what? Patrick Queen and, and Ro- um, the uh, other linebacker, my name, name Roquan. Escaped yeah. me there, Roquan. Roquan Smith, thank you. Both of these guys are still on that defense. And Mike Tomlin talked about just how good these off-ball linebackers are and how the tradition changes or continues for Baltimore, how it hasn't changed, how the faces change but the tradition for good off-ball linebacker play has it. When you think about this particular group, and we talked about how good the offense has been for Baltimore, but this particular group, even with the addition of Kyle Van Noy and some of those injury issues and maybe even getting you know a guy like Humphrey back, what kind of play from this defense has been different and how much of it has been the same from last year? I think it's kind of the, the full season from Roquan. He's the guy that changes everything, in my opinion, and – with all, um, with all due respect to Mike McDonald, um, I do love the Doobie Brothers, but I'm not sure if they're going to get it. No, I'm sorry. I don't want to get into that little blue-eyed soul. No, we've been <laughs> doing that. I love it. Yeah, but, I love it. But with all due respect to him, once they made the move and got Roquan, like, it changed everything. Patrick Queen looks like a different player. It's almost like he said, hey, hey, little brother, I'm, I'm going to take all the stress that you had here. You just go out there, see the ball, 
you know, hit the ball like they say in baseball. If somebody has it, just run and lay them out. And he's done a better job of being that guy, and he's going to get paid a lot of money in the offseason, not by the Ravens, uh, to be that guy because they, they can't pay two off-the-ball linebackers the type of money they paid Roquan. But I think that's where it starts. Like, Roquan had this statement when they were going into Cleveland and said, I want to make them cry in front of their wives and children talking about the players and their fans. And everybody's like, oh, my God, you gave them bulletin board material. And Roquan said, we play in the NFL. If you need bulletin board material, something's wrong with you. And um, he said about the Steelers this week. Yeah, he he basically said that he doesn't consider himself a Raven until he beats the Steelers this season. And, like, he puts this on his shoulders. But I haven't seen a linebacker like him in this league since – if you want to go Patrick Willis, everybody wants to make the comparison to Ray Lewis here, obviously. But he's great, man. He's just – he's fun to watch. If he's on your team, you're going to love him. I'm sure Steeler fans are going to hate him for the next couple of years that he's in Baltimore. But um, he does make everyone better, and I think everybody feeds off it. And the weird thing is, like, Jadavian Clowney was talking about him going, I've never – he said, I have friends in the league that I played with for a long time, and I've never seen anyone that plays as hard as this guy. Um, so they were trying to bust his chops. Marlon Humphrey had his podcast punchline or whatever and he's up there and he and Patrick Queen put on their sunglasses on the flight home and just said we're not talking to you leave us alone you know they're they're just built different and I think it starts with those guys up front um the pass rush we had concerns about it they're banged up there there's a bunch of guys that you might call a little bit more tryhards and actual like we don't have a TJ Watt just yet um not many teams do but you know, they'll, they'll devise some schemes to get after it. They'll play some different coverages. And then Kyle Hamilton's kind of an X factor because, I mean, thinking about it, there's really not a position for him in the NFL. He's kind of like a yeah. Swiss Army knife. And I think McDonald's used him extremely well, and he's been a valuable asset. I think a lot like – I'm not calling him Troy Palomalu, so I don't want anybody to get their feelings hurt or anything. But he does a lot of things that Palomalu did to the Ravens. Like, you know, you, you, saw, you saw him coming off the line. You saw some of the tackles he makes. He's great in coverage. He's great – um, and covering tight ends and some of the guys in the slot, he's also great at tackling. So uh, PFF grades him highly. I think he's another guy that you have to look out for. So you bring up all the weapons in the secondary and second level, and it's it's just another reason why I would hope the Steelers build the game plan this weekend around the idea of protecting Kenny Pickett and not asking him to do too much because it sounds like he's going to play. And whether it's Pickett or Trubisky, I don't think it really matters. They ought to lean into their run game because they have yet to really solidly do that this year, a bit uh, in the Vegas game. But all that is a way to ask those guys up front that you talk about, Jeremy. Um, Matabuke, Pierce, Washington, um, are they – the Steelers have not been able to get their run game untracked. Uh, is that a, a worry, I guess, of Ravens fans – that maybe finally the Steelers have an opportunity to get things going. Because the defense has been good. It, the run defense, though, if there's a soft spot in this defense, maybe it. I think that's very fair. Um, you know, they when you talk about being able to run on it, like Cleveland really didn't get a chance to show it as much because no Nick Chubb. Um, and with all due respect to the other guys are there, there's a big difference in trying to tackle that guy. Um, and then when you look at some of the other games, like the Colts had their backup running backs. And – some of, these, some of these teams, I mean, Joe Mixon was the one guy you could look at, but that offense just couldn't get going. They were just yeah. toast. So, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that, that the way to attack this team and, you know, the familiarity that these guys have, I do like their pieces up front. They're younger. You know, you mentioned some of the guys. Matt Abuke's been a, an absolute beast. Jones, I mean, you could talk about a lot of the guys that are there. There's some real talent. But um, I, if we were going to talk about something – their depth at cornerback had been an issue, but now getting Humphrey back and the way that Brandon Stevens and some of the other guys have played, 
um, kind of go, okay, well, the, the pass defense should be good if they can get to the quarterback. I think the way to attack this team is to try to run the football and set them up with some play action uh, when you can. Because, look, Roquan's a surefire tackler. I don't know if I'm the guy that wants to run it up the middle at that cat, but if I can keep him away from him and set up some other stuff, maybe some counters, different things, um, and keep him at bay, and maybe even mix in the quarterback running a little bit. And I know with Kenny Pickett's knee issue, like I don't, I don't know how much he'd be able to move or how mobile. Trubisky's mobile as well. Maybe you got to use some of that too and work your quarterback in to keep him at bay and, and change up the defense a little bit. But up front, I would say the way to beat this team is with, with a strong run game. I just don't know if the Steelers are going to have enough to do that on Sunday. And I just haven't seen enough. Speaking of run games, let's talk about Baltimore's because, you know, you have to go without J.K. Dobbins if you're this offense, but you still have some other options. There's Gus Edwards, there's uh, there's Melvin Gordon, there's Justice Hill. And these guys collectively, we add them all up, they're right around four yards a carry between the three of them. So it's not like they're not doing the job. Granted, yes, Lamar is their leading rusher, but it's not like these running backs haven't at least been efficient when getting opportunities. What's it been like watching these guys try to mix these three in and trying to find something that works in conjunction with Lamar doing what he does. Yeah, what Melvin Gordon, Kenyon Drake, it's a who's who of where did you find these guys? How long have they been on the team? You hit him on the practice squad? What, we can still do that? That type of thing. <laughs> um, and then now, like, Keaton Mitchell's practicing again, who, again, another young guy that I think we're pretty excited about from preseason, thinking that maybe there's some different type of player, but Gus Edwards feels that he could be a guy that plays in this league and, and contributes. But, um, yeah, the loss of J.K., like, we were all – the big talk in the offseason was, can they pay J.K. because he wanted to make money? And then he comes out and tears the Achilles after having the knee injuries. I don't know what you do in this situation because he's going to have to sign a prove-it deal to try to come back and get his fifth year and show a team that he can play. But no matter what he does, the four years he's been in the league, he's been hurt every single year. So how do you how do you pay that guy? Now, picking up the pieces, Gus Edwards is still the guy that averages five yards a carry. Um, but he's coming off of an injury, and, you know, we're, I think they're bringing him back a little slower than they typically would. Justice Hill's a guy they've had high hopes for, but he's never really been given um, an opportunity cost there. Like, he doesn't get his 10 or 12 carries a game. Maybe we see a little bit more of that. And I think they just kind of ride the hot hand. That's what I believe is going to happen. So the other interesting part of the the Ravens' offense is they try to attack the Steelers and what has worked and what hasn't worked in the past, Jeremy, is that – like Mark Edwards has caught a decent number of balls in the games that he's played against the Steelers, but I want to say it's it's a, only a little better than 50% on targets to Andrews that have been completed. And I don't know, I I don't think he has a receiving touchdown, for example, against the Steelers. Um, and, and I th- want to say he had maybe, maybe one. A- anyway, the point remains, Ed, uh, Andrews is another guy who hasn't had huge days against the Steelers, despite the fact that the Steelers traditionally year after year get absolutely roasted by tight ends in the middle of the field and coverage. So um, is there is there anything to Mark Andrews perhaps having a day where he goes off? I know that that traditionally that's the way they get it done, but with Zay Flowers, with the other receivers, it has been diversified a bit in the past game. What should we expect from Andrews? Yeah, I mean, another guy like last week, you know, the two touchdowns that he had against Cleveland, the one of which I think it had like a 3% chance of being completed as he jumps up over two defenders and catches the ball. Like, he's a difference maker. Um, The one thing I've always said when people said, hey, who's going to be the guys getting all the passes? Is it going to be a week-to-week thing? And I said, yeah, I believe it's week-to-week here. But Mark Andrews is the one guy that's always going to eat at the table. I mean, he's always going to get his targets. Um, I think in years past, like if I were defending – the, the Ravens, I would want to keep uh, Lamar in the pocket, 
make him a passer. And I'd want to try to take away Mark Andrews as much as I could. I don't think you can double him as much as you'd like to now with the weapons that they have on the outside. Um, and, you know, Odell still looks pretty good. But just the big question is, will he stay healthy for – will he play more games than he doesn't? So I, I do think you're playing with fire a little bit with that type of thinking that I want to take Mark Andrews out of it and seeing if the wide receivers can step up. It all depends on how you tackle because they're going to throw some underneath stuff to Zay. They're going to try to get the ball in his hands. And, I mean, we've said it before, like the guy can make you miss in a telephone booth, and he did that last week. I mean, he, he gained an extra four or five yards, but the highlight play of the instep and the jump back was almost as good as Bijan in London as he stepped left, stepped right, and hey, which way is he going? Um, so I, I think from an offensive standpoint, Mark Andrews is still a guy you have to acknowledge in the red zone and try to take him away. But Lamar's going to go to these other guys as well. So um, there's finally weapons there. I think it's the best way to try to beat the Ravens, but I do think you're playing with fire if Lamar's on and he's seeing the field well. Jeremy, I hate even asking this question under normal circumstances, but given the way these two teams play the games when they face each other and given whom each team has on each side, you got Justin Tucker on one end and Chris Boswell on the other. And these guys figure into how these games turn out when these two teams face each other. We've seen Justin Tucker used in a lot of different situations for Baltimore. And of course, earlier this season, you saw that game against Indianapolis where things were just, it really got down into the muck and got kind of ugly and sloppy, low scoring game. And these games aren't much different, traditionally speaking, as far as history tells us. Are, are we looking at another game where, all right, the kickers could be a big part of this, but at the same time, you know, I hate to even say this, but Justin Tucker not looking like Justin Tucker feels weird. Yeah, I, I think our, our expectations of him, he's still the greatest kicker in the history of the league. I've seen that yes. guy do, I mean, it's just unreal. I don't think that he's faded. I don't think he's a, like, the one that he tried in the indie game was a 61-yard field goal that fell about a yard and a half, two yards short, but it was still looked like still looked like if you took the goalpost and went like this, it was still going to go down the middle. Mm -hmm. um, he, the guy's just amazing. But I do like – I mean, I know we're going to get to prediction time, and um, but when, when we get to it, like I think this is a field goal game. Like To me, I'll, I'll be taking the Steelers plus the points. I would not be shocked if they won the game. And I know that's such a silly thing that people would say, but I, I think it's the right side. And you, Mac, we've talked ha uh, handicapping and done gambling together. I mean, this is what I do. I, I think the Steelers are a live dog this week. I can't give you a great explanation why, but the thing I always go back to, I had an old co-host that worked for the Baltimore Orioles, and he'd always say, you know, a team, when it gets embarrassed, if it's a good team, they usually bounce back and have a good week. Um, I bet on Cincinnati earlier this year, and they embarrassed me against the Ravens when I said that. Um, and then the Steelers going to Houston, like, I still don't know what the hell happened in that game, guys, because Neither do it was <laughs> from a gambling standpoint, it was a it was a great spot for Houston. It really was like for Houston to kind of pull off an upset. But once I heard about their offensive line, I'm going, oh, my yeah. God, they're going to destroy them. And then I'm watching the game going like, do they want to be here? Like what's happening? So I, I think they bounce back and have a good game. I just think the Ravens are a really good team. So it wouldn't shock me to see the Ravens go into Pittsburgh and win. But ultimately, I feel like this game is going to be a field goal game either way. Well, let's get that prediction then, because this is, you know, you lay out all the reasons it makes sense to expect the Steelers to bounce back here, Jeremy, right? Like, they're, they're, pride is injured, they're at home, home underdogs, another reason to maybe lean on them uh, with the points. Um, and it's, it's a division game, too. You know, the rivalry, the way Lamar has played against them in the past. Uh, the other side is they're somehow in first place if they win this game, the Steelers, going into their bye week. The other side to that is, well, if they lose this game after everything we just laid out, injured pride, 
Um, everything that goes with it. Lamar doesn't usually play well against them, especially at Heinz, all of that. Then they're really going to be down going into the bye week. And there will be some very difficult questions though. They should be asking themselves on the coaching staff. So all that laid out as it is, tell me, uh, what's, what's the Jeremy con, what's the concrete lock style, uh, game script for this one. How's it play out? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Ravens 23-20. Um, I, I think they find a way to win. Here's the deal, though. If the Ravens win this game, I, I think they grab a kind of a stranglehold over this division. And if you're playing in this division, you're just hoping to get in the playoffs because that'll be three road wins against all the opponents in their in their division. So beating Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, Cleveland in Cleveland, Cincy in Cincy, and now all those teams have to come to Baltimore. So I think it's a it's it's a really big uphill battle to try to catch them, and I think the Ravens have a favorable schedule this year. So, um, yeah, I'll say twenty three twenty. And I know when we were talking before, you said you were telling me Josh a big fan of the wire. I didn't know if you guys wanted any wire stories before I had to run. Yes, um, we need one. Oh, please, yes, yeah. So one of my favorite things that so one of my one of my co-hosts on the Big Bad Morning Show is Ed Norris, who was a detective on the wire. Um, the black police commissioner was loosely based upon his life you know, of some of the things that he went through when he was the Baltimore police commissioner. Yeah. yeah. So um, one of my favorite things about it is people, if you've come to Baltimore, you know, we do have an accent here in Baltimore. Baltimore. They tried, they tried it recently in the, um, uh, the other series that they had with the police officers. And by the way, yes. the main, the main police officer in that show that John Barenthal play, I, I grew up with. So we've talked about that before, I believe. <laughs> um, and it's just kind of ironic. And I also played football with the guy that arrested him. So it's just, Really weird. But so they tried doing the Baltimore accent. Right. So they yeah. did it on the show and some people were getting upset and thought that they did too much. Like, hey, we're going down to Chaps beat, uh, Pit Beef. We're going to get some of that great Pit Beef there on and you know, all that. They tried that. So they tried to do that with The Wire. They had a test screening of the first episode. And I don't mean this to be to sound rude or take shots at anyone, but the people came out asking, was there something wrong with the actors? Were, were they trying to be like special needs because of our accent? And I just I find that so hilarious because if you if you meet a true Baltimorean with that terrible, terrible accent, yeah. it's like you understand what they're saying. Like we start leaving letters out of words like going to the library and, you yeah. know, it, yeah. we change words up. Washington. We we, 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 Jeremy, Jeremy, we don't know anything about weird accents here in Pittsburgh. What are you talking? <laughs> what are you talking about, Don? We, we, we talk. We talk about how the football teams aren't too different in how they play. <laughs> the two cities and how they talk. Not all yeah, the same. Different. Also, not all that we're not, different. We're not putting French fries and sandwiches down here. That's sacrilegious. I want to eat them first. Um, but anyway, <laughs> that stays no. on its own. We can't even. We can't even defend that part. You're 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 100 right on that one. But with the wire, though, like what a great series! What a, I mean, and and the thing that people don't realize is it starts the same way it finishes. Um, basically, saying no matter how much you fight drugs, like eventually, it just comes back to the same thing. So if we started a a brand new season of the wire, we would have the Marlows, we would have you know all these other guys in there, like just new people just take their place. So once they go down, here comes the next person. The game is the game. The game yes. always. Thank it, you, yes. Omar. I I tell people just. The, the thing that sets it apart is the writing itself because it tells a story, but it continues it, because it's a story that ends, but everybody knows that nothing ever ends. It, the story yeah. will continue at some point. There is a point where they will move forward. We just don't see it. And the way they wrote it and tied it all together. I'm, I'm, I'm so, absolutely in awe of how they put that together. It, it, is, that it is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. And I'm not even shy in admitting it. 
Love not, that. not that it's going to change much, and uh, but like the Orioles closer, Felix Batista, there was a big push for him to come out to Omar's whistle. Yeah. And he started doing it, and everybody went nuts. He has no idea what it is. He's coming out. Now we don't get to see it for another year. you got to make it down here and hopefully watch out a game they close out when the place um, it goes dark and you hear the whistle, and he comes oh, out. Man, I'm still of the firm belief, Jeremy, that when Major League Baseball expands, which we all know is going to happen someday yes. any, in the next 10 years, and they realign, right? Because they'll realign too and probably do away as much as some people will hate it. Old heads will hate it. They'll do away with AL and NL and probably yes. go geographic. The Orioles and Pirates should be in the same division. Like yes. the geography, yes. the shared history in many cases, and now the similar parallels that both franchises are running, although the Pirates are a few years behind the curve. Um, I would be, I would be all for that because, and I think yes. the baseball fans in both towns are, are very, the, just the sports fans in both towns. We've talked about this before off yeah. and on air, the fa- the sports fans in both towns are so damn similar live yes. and die with their football teams. And they just want their baseball teams to consistently be good. And, and they hate the ownership teams. of the base and they hate the ownership of their baseball teams. Yeah. And, and so, you know, so much of it, you know, above and beyond the silly accents, and the colloquial food is so similar. So um, it's why Pittsburgh and Baltimore, we hate each other, but we hate each other in that brotherly way. Mutual yeah, it should respect. be. And that's, what, that's how it should be. Like, you know, I was telling my son who was, he wanted to go to some games wearing, he's a, he's actually a Colts fan and he wanted to go to that game. And I'm like, dude, don't go to the game wearing your, you're going to just, if you win, everybody's pissed off coming out, yelling right. at you. If you lose, they're rib- like egging you on the entire time. And I'm sure he would have been better at that. And then, he left earlier that game when they oh. thought they lost and then they came back and won. So oh, it's still man. hilarious to me, but, but you know, like it is, there's, there's, there's a lot of similarities there when you look at our cities and just being blue collar. And I think that's where this rivalry comes in. It's so great. And when they say throughout the records, like you really do it. Yeah. I mean, throughout the records, like regardless, I can give you all the X's and O's of why the Ravens should win this game. And I'm not the least bit shocked that the Steelers come out with a victory on Sunday. Well, Jeremy, we appreciate the time, man. Seriously, thanks for doing it. Um, you, it is going to be a hell of a game on Sunday. I think, I hope anyway, because I think if it's close, the Steelers have a chance. But we'll see with Pickett's knee being what it is um, and the Ravens getting healthy at just the right time. But thanks again for the time and the insight. Anytime, guys. I appreciate you having me. It's going to be a blast. So I would say good luck on Sunday, but I hope your team loses. No, I'm There's all this hatred. I'm supposed to hate you guys. I, we got somebody that said to me, like, why do you call it Steelers Week? Because every week's Raven Week, like it's about who you're playing. Like that's what yeah. we care about. Here it's so. Ravens Week. That's what we yeah, do. Absolutely. Yeah. Mike Tomlin calls it Ravens Week. That's a good time. It's a part of the rivalry. Jeremy, thanks again, man. Anytime, guys. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. In-depth conversations, matchup breakdown, everything a Steelers fan could want. This is fourth down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. Great stuff with Jeremy Kahn, who is going to help us arrange in the offseason for perhaps 
an entire wire themed the wire themed episode of fourth down in the steel city which i know i know josh would be a huge fan of uh, and i'm currently re-watching the show right now um that, that's oh. that's my rewatch right now is the wire i'm in the middle of the, the second season the docks and all that so oh, you're getting into um, the good stuff yeah that's yeah. I, I, I'm, I don't want to get too far off topic no, but, but for true fans of the show true fans of the show understand that season two is the thing that connects the whole it's the linchpin together yeah. it is the linchpin it's three, what connects, three, five yeah. don't make sense without two. Like it's it's a novel. The way it's written, it's a novel. You need yes. two to get through the rest of the story. And just you got to sit through it because it's great. It it is. It's it's a fantastic show. So yeah, it's exactly why it could be watched a million times too. And the fact, the fact that the Orioles closer comes out to Omar, I love is, that. Is I love so, it. So badass. I mean, it's, it's the same as David Bettner coming out to Renegade, right? Like yes, a city, exactly. A city identifies with a certain something. Baltimore. Exactly sort of openly puts their arms around the dysfunctional culture that created the wire. And uh, we here in Pittsburgh, we, we put our arms around uh, cheesy classic rock. Um, classic it, rock. Yes, yeah. Exactly. It, <laughs> neither here nor there. Let's build the game plan now here on fourth down in the steel city, uh, where if it's fourth and short, uh, we always go shotgun. And in this case, we will argue against going shotgun. I'm sure in those situations, maybe we won't, but building the game plan brought to you, by your business here i'm not even going to limit it anymore to like home improvement and hardware and construction companies and contractors i I don't care you could be a nail salon for all i care we're still going to build the game plan uh and make it look pretty while we do it hopefully i don't know i have a hard time josh imagining how the steelers win this one unless it really does stay ugly unless lamar looks like i guess for lack of a better way to put it Steelers Lamar when he plays against the Steelers he does not play well um more often than not he does in any way and I don't know how the transition from Greg Roman uh to Todd Munkin affects Lamar against the Steelers specifically to be quite honest watching the way Lamar played against the Browns last Sunday has me worried that he is hitting his stride at just the right time in this Munkin offense, that he's starting to put a lot of it together. Again, I'll reference the 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 throw into the corner of the end zone to Mark Andrews against the Browns on Sunday, that when you catch the end zone view of it, I mean, it's just classic Lamar. It's and and that isn't what people think it is. It classic no, Lamar, not. classic Lamar is not, oh, he's got to bust the pocket and scramble. Classic Lamar is he can do that if he wants to, but instead he's going to use his arm to just flick a flick of the wrist because he's got a great arm flick of the wrist on target in the corner of the end zone to a great red zone receiver in Andrews. And that's, that's what worries me the most about this thing is that they don't the Steelers after getting torched by CJ Stroud, having the game plan, the, the, the blueprint sort of laid by both the Texans and the Niners for how to combat T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith in the pass rush is one, two, three, get it out. The Ravens now have the receiving core, especially now that it's getting healthy again, to do that. Um, I don't know if Lamar Jackson has ever been better equipped to beat the Steelers than he is coming in on Sunday. When the Ravens signed Odell Beckham, I said, okay, they needed a receiver. You get OBJ, that makes sense. Yeah. When the Ravens drafted Zay Flowers, oh boy, 
I was a little bit more worried because you and I have shared this joke how many times off air just talking about Pitt. And I'm like, well, oh, yeah, the thing that made Bill Dracovic great is we're number four for Baltimore because yes. at Boston College, 80% or more of the targets he was throwing out in BC's offense were going to Zay Flowers because Zay Flowers is that good. Mm-hmm. And now he's in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. And, oh, yeah, just to make things even more poignant, they bring in the offensive coordinator from the school that I've been calling the Roman Reigns of college football the last two years. And, oh, yeah, that same guy is the one that was putting together the offense that Broderick Jones and Darnell Washington were playing in a year ago. That says something to me. And, like, I think the grand collection of it all makes it more daunting than just those individual things one at a time. You look at each of those instances, you say, okay, they might get a little bit better. But you put all three of those changes together with Lamar Jackson, and it looks a lot better. It makes me think Lamar could be more, you know, reminiscent of – Louisville Heisman season, Lamar, yeah. when he was running Bobby Petrino's offense and putting up the numbers he was putting up. And I have to remind people of this. You can't be a quarterback in college running Bobby Petrino's offense and be thought mm-hmm. of as just a running back. That makes absolutely no sense because you're not even stepping under center in the shotgun if you can't throw in Bobby Petrino's offense. And Lamar right. made it clear that he could throw that year he won the Heisman. And now he's stepping into an offense that's going to look closer to that and a lot further away than what Greg Roman used to do. And that yeah. should give you a lot of pause because part of me thinks that Steelers Lamar was a direct reflection of the offense they they ran because it was so heavily dependent upon Lamar's ability to run first and then his ability to throw was kind of like second or third behind his ability to run and then whoever he was handing the ball off to. Now they're putting his ability to throw out there on, on front street and you're seeing it up close, and then they're saying, oh, yeah, by the way, he can run too. So now you become an even bigger problem if you're Lamar Jackson. That's what scares me about this whole thing. Yeah, and the the other problem is not only are they starting to put it together on the offensive side, but on the defensive side, they look like classic Ravens, and that's been without Mm -hmm. Marlon Humphrey. So they are top four in the league in yards per game, I believe. Let me just double-check that number. Uh, They're third. Yeah, they are third in the league in yards per game allowed. Less than 261 yards a game. That's total 261 yards a game. Passing And third points. Yeah, passing defense, 168. So, yeah, they're holding opponents under 170 yards passing. Um, The reason I said the rush defense may be, if you're looking for a soft spot, maybe that's a soft spot, is because they are only seventh in the league in rush defense. (laughs) Only. 92 and a half yards again. Um, I don't know. And to your point, third in the league in points per game as well. Tied with the Niners, 14 and a half points a game. They're that should up. scare you. If I nothing else you with this offense, lot. And, that and, should bother you. And so here's, here's the problem. Before we try to build a way for the Steelers to combat all this, here's my worry is that it all goes wrong on, mm. on Sunday because this team is not built to come from behind, which brings us to before we build the Steelers game plan, something Matt Canada said to the TV networks last week, right? He admitted to uh, in a production meeting to Adam Archuleta and Spiro Dedis that he, they, they, they just, they, they, they're not built to come from behind. Now, he went out of his way. I mean, he backpedaled like Mel Blunt in his prime at his meeting with the media 
on Thursday in trying to clarify what he was talking about. Greg Finley, intrepid producer, if you don't mind playing the clip. Do you feel like you have the personnel to come from behind when you get behind like 14, 16, nothing? I'm glad you asked that question because um, obviously Angela preps me on things. So that that is an you know, unbelievable misinterpretation of a conversation. So I'm going to take a real lo- nice time here and explain what that was. Obviously, you guys all know because you know everything about how it works. Pre-game, we talk to those crews, talk about what's going to happen. We try to give them information. Uh, the conversation was why we ran more runs and play action against the Raiders versus the opening game. And why, you know, why was that? As you look at the stat sheet, did it look that way? As you guys all know, the start of that 49er game didn't go the way we planned. Really didn't do anything until we had the 95-yard two-minute drive. We're down 20-7. to seven. So you're down two scores. You come back. They score. We had a decent drive there moving a little bit. Deontay got hurt, as you recall, got down there, got stalled, got a stop, came back again. And the conversation was at that point, I think it was probably three minutes and 15 seconds ballpark when we got stopped at that point in the third quarter. At that point, we're down three scores with three minutes and 13 seconds to go in the third. Three scores. You're not going to stick to your running plan and the plan of running play action when you're down three scores. All we care about here is winning. So the conversation was at that point, the plan you know, wasn't built to do that then you had to go obviously I believe we were going to win till the end I kept throwing it to the point of you know, we certainly our lineman had to do what 46 dropbacks Kenny had to do that at no point was that conversation meant in that regard I certainly believe he knew that and obviously was taken wrong if not but of all the things we want to talk about and say at no point do I doubt our players doubt where we are doubt we can come back no doubts I was literally saying any football person would tell you you're down three scores with What's that? 18 minutes to go. You got to start going faster. You got to start being in a two-minute mode. You have to score more points. That's how that came out, and um, certainly everybody in, you know on the offense is well aware of that. Matt, your substitution patterns with the back. All right, so like, Greg, you can numbers. kill it now, um, because it starts to go into a completely different question there. Um, but it, first and foremost, first and foremost, pardon me. Let's be clear, and, and we talked about this before we started the show today, Josh. There's nothing that Matt Canada said, either in that production meeting or or in that clip right there, that isn't true. Like, they're not built to come from behind. No. How many offenses are necessarily built to come from down three touchdowns in 18 minutes, as he's saying in in the San Francisco game. Right. One of them has a guy named Mahomes. Right. And eh, what? Yeah. That's the only one. The other one one has a guy named Allen. Yeah. Okay. There we go. We we can, we we can agree. It's probably those, just those two. So I don't fault him for being honest, I guess, in a production meeting. And now was he a little too honest? Probably. Um, I don't fault him for saying for, for having that belief in his offense or lack of belief, I guess I should say. The only problem I have, really, with what Matt Canada said between the production meeting before Sunday's game or in this meeting with the media is that he's telling you, I'm not running play action once we get down. Now, is there a certain point where he's down double digits, where he's down more than two touchdowns, where it's got to be 20, whatever the deficit is, where he says, okay, throw out all the play action passes. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that part of his assessment because 
We've talked before. You don't have to be running the ball effectively to run play action effectively. Now, I do understand the concept of play action is they've got to believe the run is a possibility in order to bite on it. I just don't, I don't like giving up on play action and giving up totally on the run game at that point that he's talking about in the San Francisco game where he says, I'm down three touchdowns with 18 minutes left. I don't totally give up on it. I don't. Maybe that's foolish of me, and my game plan would not be built properly in that case, or my attempt to come back would not be built properly. But I'm still going to keep the opposition honest as long as the clock gives me time to run occasionally, understanding i got to move quickly and put points on the board. I'm still going to do that. And so I'm still going to try to keep that as a possibility. Look, all we're doing here is mincing words, I guess, over what Matt Canada had to say. Um, The greater point here is that they aren't built to come from behind. No, they're not. And and that, that I don't think Matt Canada had to tell Adam Archuleta and Spiro Dedis the fact that they're not built to come from behind for everyone in the NFL to know that they're not built to come from behind. The biggest problem with both the initial discussion and then the defense of the discussion is that we assume, and and this is not, this is not just a Pittsburgh thing. It's not just a media thing. This is a general human discourse thing. We, we trap ourselves into the habit that every discussion, everything we talk about is particularly binary where it is strictly all this or strictly all that. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. And I I agree with you from the standpoint of you don't want to abandon certain things. Like you don't necessarily want to abandon a run. You don't want to necessarily abandon play action, but you also, I may still still run the occasional first down drop play, even when I'm down 21, just to keep the defense honest, but it's also going to be within context. It's going to come within a certain down to distance. It's going to come at a certain point on the field. It's going to come at a certain particular juncture where, you know, okay, this is a viable option here. That makes sense. You're not going to run on second and 14 from your own 30 Correct. with two minutes left in the third because you think you need to run there. That's not the right down the distance. It's not the right context. It doesn't make sense there. So when you add it all up within reason, and that's something that you have to kind of, you know, asterisk it and put it in the footnote and say within reason, within reason, what he's saying makes sense. The problem is we are so heavily, you know, programmed to just make it a, it's either this or it's not. Or we like to take it as, oh, well, why is he saying this? And there are sometimes, and this is just not Matt Canada, th- this is other coaches, this is other teams, this is other markets, where a coach will say something in context that's actually true. And at that point, we are so far gone that we're just taking it, we're just refuting it out of knee-jerk reaction. Like, we don't know anything else other than to refute the guy. We right. even saw that the last couple of years of Clint Hurdle. Clint Hurdle can say anything, and it's just like, no, that's not true. And then, wait a minute, you're like, oh, no, wait, that is kind of true, because we're just so programmed. Conditioned, yeah. Conditioned to just immediately try to refute it. Yeah. And there wasn't much, maybe a few things, like I said, within reason, that could be refuted. The rest of it's true. And I've been through some of those situations where, even recently, I'll, I'll tell this story recently, did a couple high school games uh, in the past few weeks where we talked to coaches before games, and there was a coach in particular that was talking about some elements of his offense that he were like, man, this is so bad. He's like, man, we're so bad at this one thing. 
But I'm not going to mention that in the broadcast. Yeah. I understood what he meant in a general sense. He's talking about, hey, if we have to do this particular thing in this moment, it's not going to work. If we're going to do this, we got to do this at this particular time. Otherwise, we're going to be in bad shape because we're not built to be able to do that with this particular personnel. I really think that's what that was the whole, the whole crux of that was. But when you take it out of context and you drop it into a binary setting, it's going to sound way worse than what it is. It's also a little bit of a sellout move by Archuleta. Was it Archuleta or Dennis? I can't remember who it, mentioned it. Might it might have been the, like the combination of the two. And yeah, and yeah I, I kind of look at the broadcaster and I'm going, okay. You're you, not supposed to put it that way. You're not supposed to put it that way. Plus, there, there is a certain trust that you build there with coaches sharing you information. Right. And you might have made that harder for coaches to trust you down the road. I, I, I oh, saw sure. a really big problem with that because there all they had to just... say, all they had to say, Josh was, Hey, the Steelers are not built to come from behind. Right. And, and, and that would have been that. And everybody no would have agreed with it. with it. Right. No one would have argued because they see the personnel. They know they don't have their best route runner. Everyone sees it. And everyone who's watched this team enough times to know, knows that it, it just, there's a line you walk with information that you get and how well you disseminate it. And I'll, I'll come back to this. These coaches don't have to give you information. How much should we talk about this? They don't owe us this stuff. They don't have to give it to us. They can give us the smallest, most, you know, basic, I'll give you this. So you go away information and it can be totally different from what you see. Right. And honestly, they'd be well within their right because they're giving you information that they don't really want to share. Coaches are very guarded with stuff because they don't want to think that they're giving someone else an edge. Granted, yes, it's incredibly paranoid, but that's how they operate. <laughs> but when you're given the opportunity to get that information and it's passed along to you in a confidential and more of an off-the-record setting, you got to be more responsible with how you handle the information and how you disseminate it. And I think there was a bit of a bit of a, a fumbling of that situation there. All of this is not to say that Matt Canada, again, was wrong. He's not wrong. And no, he's right. as, he's as telling we, the truth. As we look at maybe ways, too much truth. Yeah. As we look at avenues for the Steelers to win this game, it's why, like I said to Jeremy Kahn earlier, they can't, they, they have to lean on the run game to somehow control, suck the life out of this game, literally drag it down into the mud, hope that they can put together a drive finally, because they've really only put together one drive all season uh, that ended in a touchdown anyway. Put together a drive or two that end, at least one of them has to end in a touchdown. And just get this game to halftime up three or tied. 10-7. Get, get it to halftime at 10-7 or, hell, I'll even take 7-3, right? Or 7-7. Seven, seven. Don't let Baltimore get a touchdown lead or more. Because at that point, this thing is going to start to get away from them. And again, that's why if I'm Matt Canada building the game plan for this weekend in particular, I am leaning on the run game. I am doing all of the little traps and counters mm -hmm. inside that we saw work against Houston. That's where this run game is going this week for me. I'm going to pull my guards. I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to funnel things into the inside lanes and try to, because as much as we want to avoid the inside linebackers, I'm also not asking my offensive line in this case to do any kind of zone blocking on the outside because they've shown they can't do it. 
unfortunately, I'm going to have to get tricky with the run game. And it's going to be Trap City. And it's going to be Counter City. And it's going to be Najee. You're going to have to gain three, you know, two, three yards. And then pray to God you can break some Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen tackles. There's two things I need to say to this. And the first mm-hmm. one is that I agree with everything you just said wholeheartedly. Because that's the only way, in my opinion, that they win this game. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that's how they're built to be anyway. That's it's supposed to be, part. right? It's supposed to that's be. That's the crazy part. That's how they're built to be. And I'm, I'm going to come back to this again like I did post game after the Houston game and like we did in our post game show. This is what they told us they wanted to become as a team. This was the type of identity they wanted to have. Now, here's the weird part. They weren't playing the guys that were supposed to be part of this identity they were building in the first four games of the season. Now they're forced to. Now they're forced to play Darnell Washington because Pat Fryermuth is out. Now they're forced to play Broderick Jones because Dan Moore is out. Now they have to go that route. And it seems like they're forced to do that with Keanu Benton because of the situation there. And I think Mike Tomlin realizes, hey, we got to give this kid more snaps because he's actually playing in bed near the guys up front. So I say all that to say I have to agree with this because that's what you say you want to do. So now you're almost forced into the position to do what you say you're going to do. Here's the fun part that I think people who like to criticize Mike Tomlin, you're missing out on a prime opportunity to lay your biggest criticism of him out there. He told you what he wanted to do, and he's not doing what right. he told you what he wanted to do. And you're everybody's swinging and missing on that part. Yeah, letting it now, slide. Now you're forced to actually be this. And if it doesn't happen, now you got it teed up for you. Now you yeah. got the teed up thing of, hey, you said you wanted to be this team, and now you're not this team. Why? That's the first thing I'm going to say. The second thing I'm going to say is, Chris, you said a lot of stuff that sounds a lot like what I said that they needed to do and avoid before they played San Francisco. Remember what I told you? If this team gets down by a couple possessions against San Francisco, I'm very, very terrified for Kenny Pickett because it's going to be a long afternoon. And what exactly happened? They got down by three scores and it became a long afternoon. So I say all that to say this. Should you really be shocked at what Matt Canada said when we told you it was coming? No, you shouldn't be. And you should not be surprised at the thought of this becoming a distinct possibility. Not only from the offensive side of things, but for the defense as well. Why? Because we just saw it again against Houston. This defense played 41 snaps in the first half against Houston because the offense couldn't do anything and they couldn't generate anything on their side of the ball. You are looking at that again now if your offense can do this. And we just talked about how different this Baltimore offense is with Lamar Jackson being able to throw it in short yardage with Zay Flowers, being able to go down the field, having Odell Beckham Jr. healthy, and possibly having a healthy offensive line, and now we know what teams can do to try to offset this this pair of edge rushers, you better figure it out on offense. You better be able to control the ball. You better be able to control the clock. And even if you don't score, you better be able to get drives that sustain yardage and keep the drive alive. Because if you don't and you give this team more time and more opportunities, they're going to wear your defense down and in a game like this which is historically physical and bodies get carted off mm-hmm. usually in multiples probably in the half dozens or so if not more this is the game where you cannot do what you did against San Francisco and you cannot do what you did against Houston 
the thing that cannot. the thing that worries me about the other side of the ball, Josh, that you started to lay out, um, is yards after the catch have been really important. And we've seen the Steelers tackling in the secondary be atrocious. And Zay Flowers, 114 of his 200, no, 115 of his 244 receiving yards, so more than half after the catch. He's top 20 in the league in that regard. It's just shy of what George Pickens has done after the catch. And we know how um, how combustible he is after the catch, how he can take a ball, turn it upfield, and go. We've seen him do it. Um, it is... It's, it's, it's not quite Nico Collins-esque, who now leads no. the league in yards after the catch, thanks to his performance this past Sunday. Um, but it is something to worry about with Patrick Peterson and Levi Wallace already being porous in coverage. You add in that second layer of, well, the tackling ain't great either. All it takes is one missed tackle. Zay Flowers is going to turn six or seven yards into 20. Zay Flowers is going to turn... 12, 13, 14 yards on a deeper route into 30 or 40, or even worse, a score. Um, it, it's and why it, he it, could it, break tackles to get there. And Mike Tomlin right. talked about how tough he is and how he's not intimidating. He doesn't mind someone coming trying to knock his head off. He will take that hit and try to break that tackle. And now you've got that working on the outside in tandem with, again, I know he hasn't done it in the past, but. This is Todd Munkin's offense, not Greg Roman's mm-hmm. offense. Mark Andrews working on the inside. And you and, saw what he did with Brock Bowers at Georgia. Yeah. So imagine. Why so many passes at Georgia? Because he had Brock Bowers, folks. <laughs> right. That's why. And what, what why. does, if you took Brock Bowers out of a Georgia Bulldogs uniform and put him in purple and black, he guess might what? Look a lot like Mark Andrews. It might look a whole hell of a lot like Mark Andrews. I, so I totally agree. Now I'll add one more point to this because I think mm-hmm. it's really important, and I, I think the Steelers' defense has been a really good measuring stick or guinea pig to kind of you know exemplify this. Brooke Pryor wrote a really good piece about how the league is not really a chuck it down the field kind of no. league anymore. It yeah. is more short yardage, catch passes in space, yards after the catch. But here's the thing. This isn't that surprising because let's talk about one, one, one or two particular different points in history. One was right around late 70s, early 80s. There was an offense that really rose to prominence that became really popular because its whole hook was, hey, you can control the ball with the passing game as much as the run game by throwing it in short distances, timing it well, getting def- getting receivers in space and allowing them to get extra yardage. So at the very least, you're still moving the ball But at the best case scenario, you might break a tackle and get bigger yardage. That offense was called the West Coast offense. It was one of the bigger influences for another offense that became bigger later on down the line that also specified with, hey, an emphasis on throwing to to wide open receivers, an emphasis on catching the ball in space and getting the most and getting upfield and getting yardage, and also doing it in a very short amount of time. And that offense was called the air raid. And a lot of what you see with modern offenses now, they are taking pieces from both mm-hmm. offenses and incorporating it and sprinkling a little bit of BYU with Lavelle Edwards, which, by the way, the preeminent coach in the league also played in GA for that guy in Andy Reid. So there's that. But that's what the league, as far as offenses in the passing game, has really started to lean on. And you're seeing the benefits of it. And this defense is being really, really leveraged Ravaged. on it. And it can Ravaged happen again, again. And get, And what did Lamar play in at Louisville? Well, he played in Bobby Petrino's offense, but it wasn't too different as far as 
taking advantage of getting the ball in space and short yardage to turn it into big gains. It was also a lot of that influence too with Bobby Petrino. Exactly. So So he changes there. He can do it. Yes, exactly. I I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if how, if that's how they build their game plan, the Ravens for Sunday, all of this is to say, I'm worried friends. (laughs) I feel like Kermit the frog meme. I'm biting my nails. I'm, I'm very, very concerned about Sunday afternoon, regardless of whether it's Kenny Pickett or Mm -hmm. Mitch Trubisky. I'm more worried if it's Pickett because I worry that much like when he played a game, oh, and and who made the point of pointing this out? Um, And I I cited it. Oh, Amanda Godsey, who covers uh, both, has covered Pitt Pitt in the past and covers the Steelers now. Um, She tweeted this uh, Wednesday afternoon. Reading that Kenny Pickett is in a knee brace reminds me of when Pat Narduzzi had him wearing one on his plant leg during practice and games as a precautionary measure. Pickett didn't wear one for a game against Georgia Tech in 2018 and had his plant leg bent backwards. Uh One thing that I still need to see the rest of the season, whether the Steelers win every game or lose every game from here on out, Josh, is I need to see Pickett play when healthy so that we get an idea of whether this development has already hit its ceiling or there's a little more room to grow, Canada, the OC, or not. If Pickett is hurt to the extent he's going to miss multiple weeks and then still be less than 100% when he gets back, we're not going to have any further idea of whether the last eight, nine weeks in 2022 were an anomaly or the start of something. And so... I don't want, I, I'll stand by it. I don't want Kenny Pickett playing this weekend. And I don't want him playing again until he's really ready and able to, because A, it affects him mentally, not being 100%, and already rushing through his progressions and his reads. But then physically, the potential exists for him to be affected as well. So he's probably going to play. It's probably not going to go well. And the Steelers are going to be a mess going into the bye week. But we'll save <laughs> predictions for our hot sheet episode, our pick em episode, which will be coming out tomorrow. Or maybe has already come out, depending on how you get it. We appreciate you getting fourth down in the Steel City, whether you're watching the video here on 93.7 The Fan's YouTube page or listening inside whatever app you get your podcasts via Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, of course iTunes, and your free Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. We appreciate you hanging with us to build the game plan and to hear from Jeremy Kahn of 105.7 The Fan and the Big Bad Morning Show in Baltimore. For Josh Taylor and our intrepid producer, Greg Finley, be sure to catch the Pick'em episode this weekend. And we will be back with a post-game episode after Steelers and Ravens and to get you ready for the bye week, whatever may be coming barreling straight at us after this Ravens game on the next edition of 4th Down in the Steel City. 